Okay. Hello out there. My name is uh, Steve Stein. I'm a I'm an author. The book is called The Oath. It is my first novel. Um, prior to that, my life had centered around uh, my career as an orthopedic surgeon. And I re retired several years ago, picked up the pen and uh, wrote this book, uh, a story about two physicians at Auschwitz during the Holocaust. Uh, we'll get more into that in a little bit, and uh, I'd like to introduce or have him introduce himself. My uh, uh, the other party in this broadcast, Sean McDaniel. Go ahead, Sean. Greetings, Doctor Stein. It's a pleasure to visit with you. I am Sean McDaniel of Billings, Montana, author of Criminal Zoo. By day. I'm a mild-mannered personal trainer. By night, I write stories that feed your worst dreams. You, you had me dreaming after I read your book, Sean, um, and it was uh, it really caught my attention. Well written, uh, very interesting, a subject that nobody, few people wish to talk about, but I think something that today's society is interested in hearing. Well, Dr. Stein, my book is about revenge. You know, it's about getting even. You read the newspapers, you read the headlines. I have, you know, headlines in front of me, mistrial declared in baby killing case. You know, uh, a mom cuts the arms off of her infant, a uh, child's father arrested in decapitation case. The mother finds her four-year-old daughter decapitated. Ohio mother indicted in microwave death. A mom put her baby in a microwave. And you know, Dr. Stein, the BTK killer. Wow. Uh, sex predators like Joseph Duncan. You, you read these articles and these headlines, and it, it leaves you pretty frustrated. What we're doing right now is not working. I'm not saying I have the solution. But I have a different way of looking at things. You know, um, it's interesting because in my book... Hi, right, tell me about your book, Dr. Stein. Tell me about the oath. A fascinating, fascinating read. I enjoyed it. Oh, I don't know if I enjoyed it. I experienced it. Your, your depth of research must yeah. have been extensive. How did, you, how did you research this book, The Oath? Well, I, I, I did a couple of things. First of all, I started off by when I was on the... Arizona Board of Medical Examiners, we had a, a physician come before us, and at the time, I was on the board, and he, I had his file in, my, in front of me, opened his file, and I saw a big swastika stamped on his file. Now, the Board of Examiners is there to discipline physicians, and this physician had had two deaths in a short period of time, and we were concerned. Anyway, I looked at this, his uh, diploma, and he had graduated just five days before the surrender was signed for World War II. He graduated on May 5th, 1945, and the surrender was signed, well, three to four days later. And I said, there's no way that any medical school was graduating anybody in Germany at the t this time of the war. Germany was uh, basically a failed state. They had very little power, very, very little food. Um, 
And the place that he had graduated from was the University of Kiel, and Kiel was a repair base for U-boats and was repeatedly bombed by the British during the war, so there was no way he graduated. So I thought he was a phony, and I asked a, a reporter who used to come to our meetings to look into this because I think there's a story there. Um, and he came back the next day and says, you know, would love to, but my uh, my editor says that's how we get sued, so we can't do this. So anyway, so I went ahead, and that, and that stimulated me to think about uh, the Holocaust, think about World War II, and think about the doctors that were involved at the concentration camps. And I started reading books, doing research, and decided myself, well, if I can't really pin down this doctor, I should probably just write a book, make a fictional story, and base it on history of that era. And so I went and uh, went to libraries. This was early on, even before the Internet was well-established. Went to libraries, read books. Uh, and that's and traveled Europe on about four occasions. How long did it take you to research this book? I, I researched the How book for years? about fifteen years. Fifteen oh years. Oh my, that's amazing! You know, you have put your fictional characters, Doctor Katz, the SS Doctor Block, you know, Tamra, Martin. You gotta love Martin. But you put your fictional characters in with your real-life characters, Joseph Mengele and Klaus Barbie, and you drop them in these very real places, Auschwitz and Birkenau and Dachau. It's extremely educational. It reads almost like a, a true-life history book, and you've, your character development is well done. And you think about the, the dilemma that Dr. Katz was in, you know, to to work alongside Dr. Block, the SS, to work with the SS doctors, and, you know, to go against everything, the Hippocratic Oath, the, the book title, The Oath, to go against the Hippocratic Oath to save his family. And I just can't imagine the dilemma that you put your protagonist in, and you did an incredible job with it. I just have to say, well done, and my mom's a big fan of the book, too. I thank you very, very much for the comments. I, um, you know, well, absolutely you do. I agree. You put a lot of yourself into it. So on the ending of my book, did you see that there's some eerie similarities on that whole revenge factor with your book and my book? Yeah, that's the, and, and that's the difference. I think there, there is a similarity in that revenge is, is one of the themes in both of our books, and in your book, I think it is celebrated a bit more than I do, because at the end of my book, the question is, does revenge really make a difference? And in and in your book, your your character, your horrific character, who ended up killing those people was, uh, as you read it, you sort of think of all the things that you'd like to do to him, and the re and what he deserved to have done to him, and the character of the criminal zoo and how they're put out in front of people, and how actually in your book you describe how people can come and hurt the criminal as he sits there in front of a window where people can observe what's happening to him and cause that kind of pain. 
it, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's a different sort of revenge. It's a different thought of revenge. But there were some similarities, although I think we were slightly different in how we approached it. Yes, I would agree with mine. When I wrote Criminal Zoo, I had just read an article about a man, a man named Jerry Hobbs. Jerry Hobbs had just been released from prison. A month later, in this article, it said he killed, he stabbed to death his eight-year-old daughter and her nine-year-old friend. Between the two girls, they'd been stabbed almost three dozen times. Jerry Hobbs' little girl, eight-year-old little girl, had both eyes stabbed out. I just read this article, and I was talking to one of my clients, Dr. Cindy Kennedy, and, and we, we said there needs to be a place where you can put these people. I said, lock me in a room with this man. Lock me in a room. I would say, Jerry Hobbs, I'm not an eight-year-old girl. What can you do to me? And Cindy even coined the phrase criminal zoo. So in criminal zoo, you do get to take out your, yeah. your rage, your anger, your frustration on these, we call them, we call them animals disguised as humans. They're not humans. They're animals that kill. But I try not to argue for or against this manner of punishment. I want the reader, you read the book, and you decide, is this something, you know, the, uh, the premise of the book, either whether you argue animately for it or vehemently against it, I want you impassioned by the premise. I want to initiate a response. And like Samuel says, Samuel, the character that is in Criminal Zoo, he tells his visitors it won't work. His visitors say, what won't work? He says, you can't bury your pain under mine. It's still going to be your pain. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to bury their own pain under the physical pain of Samuel. But in my book, I, yeah. I do not want to argue. I'm not trying to lead you forward or against it. And I think I do a pretty good job staying out of it. You know, right now, today, if you had to vote for the Violent Criminal Human Zoo Act, that's what we call in the book, the Violent Criminal Human Zoo Act, you know, would you vote for it or would you vote against it if it were on the initial on the ballot for November 8th? You know, I mean, if you had to decide one way or another, I want you to really have to think about it. Personally, I'd vote for it, but I get the feeling you would vote against it. Yeah, I, I think what we're trying, you know, you, there are two things that are happening in this book. In your book, you have, number one, you have the bad guy. You have the killer who deserves a punishment, whether that punishment be... Uh, no, I'm here. I'm just saying anyway, in, can you hear in me Samuel's now? mind, though, he's not a bad guy. No, he's not, but... He, he is a bad guy, and there's no question about it, and we're not going to change his mind. And the question is, can you rehab people like that? And I truly doubt that there are people that can be rehabbed. Uh, so there are those people out there that want to get rid of the death penalty, and there are those of which I would be one that say for there are certain crimes that I think we cannot rehabilitate people from, and they probably deserve to have the death penalty. Um, now, the question whether or not you can 
help somebody else out who has been pained by these kinds of actions, somebody who has a loved one that was tortured by somebody else who can then take care of his feelings by going to the criminal zoo and torturing another person, I probably don't agree with that. I think that's probably not not as helpful to society. I think a lot of readers will agree with you. I think a lot of people yeah. will be opposed to that. But like you said, uh, you know, can you rehabilitate if if you have an individual who is wired to kill children? This individual is they're defective. There's something wrong with them. They're not like you, and they're not like me. And I don't believe That's we right. can teach them that killing children is bad. I think that they're going to act on their impulses, and I. I I don't believe that sending them to prison for 10 years, 20 years, whatever, and then letting them out early to reoffend again, you know, rate of recidivism. Within three years of release, two-thirds of released prisoners are rearrested. Within five years of release, three-quarters, 75% are rearrested. The criminal mind, unfortunately, acts upon its impulses and uh, it's it reoffends. If you kill children, I think if we let you go, if we incarcerate you, and then we let you go, you may kill a child again. You know, just recently we had a case in Glasgow, Montana. Just recently, a couple of weeks ago, a father was convicted of repeatedly raping his 12-year-old daughter. A 12-year-old girl, his own daughter, he repeatedly rapes her, and this man gets 60 days in jail. There I is no it. justice there. You let me have some time no. with this guy. You know, I, if I were a judge, I wouldn't give him jail time either. I would remove body parts from him. Let me enact. If I were king, he's losing body parts, and I know where I'd start. <laughs> Do you also know Martha Stout, Dr. Stout, wrote a, wrote a book called The Sociopath Next Door. She claims that one out of 25 of us are sociopaths. We're born without conscience. Dr. Stein, if you know 100 people, you know four sociopaths. To me, that's kind of scary. What are we going to do with these people? I have to say that I think by... Just because there are people who are sociopaths doesn't mean that they are acting in a sociopathic method. It's what they may understand legal and illegal. There are people who will do that. Um, I, I think, can we, can we change their minds? I don't know. Can we rewire people? I don't think so. The, um, but I think the, the system, the criminal justice system, as you see in Montana and elsewhere, does have holes. It's not perfect. We know that. The, so we bring up the question of a criminal justice system. We bring up the question of the death penalty. And then in your book, you bring up the question of should there be a kind of 
revenge that is done by others who have had pain inflicted upon them. And I think it's in that last category that I probably don't think that that's a necessary thing. So, Dr. Stein, let me ask you this. That person that you cherish more than life itself, you find that person laying in a pool of blood brutally murdered. If you had the opportunity to exact your revenge on this person, would you? What would you do to the person who took from you your loved one? I would have rage. I would have revenge feelings. If we gave you legal ability, consequence-free, I think a lot of people would act upon it. And that's what I present. That's what I propose in Criminal Zoo. And again, I'm not trying to change our legal system. I'm not trying to change our Constitution. But with Criminal Zoo, I think, I believe it will be talked about in coffee shops, in hair salons, in grocery stores, on airplanes, in bars, in restaurants. I think we're going to get people talking about this. No, I don't expect a big change with uh, anything we do, but it's, I offer an outside-the-box way of looking at what to do, how to deal with people that are preying upon us. You know, the sociopath, they see our conscience as a weakness. They love our weaknesses. They prey upon us because we have conscience. They do not. We have sociopaths who act in different ways. We have people out there cheating people out of money. We have them, you know, the Madoffs on, of this world. We have people cheating. We have bankers that are cheating people out of money. That are They do so in a system which seems like it's a regulated system, but it isn't. So sociopaths can act in ways other than... Uh, hurting people or killing people. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, Bernie Madoff, Kenneth Lay of Enron, you have people that absolutely decimated employees' retirements. So without a doubt, uh, the sociopathic mind isn't necessarily wired towards hurting, towards harming, towards killing. But the people in criminal zoo, they're the worst of the worst. And there is a checklist. Dr. Stein, I just went and listened to a, a gentleman named Damien Eccles. Damien Eccles spent 18 years on death row, wrongfully accused and uh, convicted. In 2011, after 18 years on death row, he was exonerated because of DNA evidence. So people ask me, what if you put someone in criminal who shouldn't be there? There is an extensive checklist in Criminal Zoo, DNA evidence at the top of the list, eyewitnesses. You have to be seen at the, the crime scene. So the people that I put in Criminal Zoo, they have fulfilled a checklist, DNA being one of them, and they are the worst of the worst. They're not anyone that steals your money. They're someone that has uh, taken someone you love, has murdered and mutilated innocent lives. Okay, Dr. Stein, Martin Broski. Tell me about Martin. Yeah. Is it Broski, Broski? Your character, Martin Broski. Well, Mar Martin Broski is a, a, is a person who watched his 
as a teenager, he watched his parents being murdered by a Nazi officer when his father failed to stand up when the officer asked him to because the man's back was hurting. Anyway, and he he was murdered, and Martin, as a teenager, watched this happen. Yeah, he, he, he watched this, Martin watched this happen, and then he was put into Auschwitz, where he worked as a Sonnen commando. These were the people that took the poor, uh, poor people who were gassed to death in the uh, gas chambers at Auschwitz, and they took them up to the crematorium to burn them. So Martin saw death firsthand, both in his parents, and he saw death firsthand at the hand of the Nazis with their uh, use of uh, the gases to kill uh, so many millions of people. So Martin, as he had escaped from Auschwitz, in his mind, he had nothing on his mind but revenge. And we could all, we could all justify that. We could, we, could, we could see what happened to him. And as he was able to get out and find the methods to do revenge, he carried them out uh, in ways that were painful. And the, and the reader would find that out in, in the book, as he, he did in the last chapter. So I think Martin, Martin was, there was a little bit of all of us in Martin, because had we seen our family, or we've seen our friends, or anybody that we know just brutally murdered for no good damn reason, that we would have felt the same exact way to exact re- revenge. So as a character, he, cre- he is that person. He is the revengeful person. And a lot of my readers have commented to me that he is their favorite character. Yeah, and the follow-up book that I'm writing about will be concerning Martin and his activities with the Jewish Brigade which was put together at the end of the, towards the end of the war and later on helped, uh, helped in the establishment of Israel, helped to bring people over from the uh, camps in, in Europe after the war was ended, despite the British blockade of immigration to Israel. And Martin was, a, the revenge was in his mind, and I'm not saying that he's the best character or the best person, but he had a reason to act the way he did. Um, and there is a little bit of that in all of us, I, quite, I believe. He would vote for the criminal zoo, I think. I think Martin would like the criminal zoo. What do you think? Well, I think Martin would, uh, he would carry out a very slow killing of the people in a way that was painful for them so that they too, as they passed away, and died were reminded of what they did to other people. But the question is, does revenge justify? Is is revenge always justified? And can we carry revenge too far? And does revenge really change things? How do we change things, for instance, so the Holocaust doesn't happen again? Will revenge against individuals stop that from happening? Is it education that will stop the Holocaust from happening? Is so people better understand and know each other. Um, I think revenge is just one method, but I think it's certainly not the only method to assure that these kinds of things don't happen, that the Holocaust doesn't happen again. However, probably as we see society today, I think I can't help but believe under some circumstances 
we may see deaths of certain groups of people at the hands of others like that. Well, Dr. Stein, what if we give the individual who would kill, what if we give him a little something more serious to think about than 20 years of room and board with three square meals? What if we give him something to think about like torture? Now, one thing about in criminal zoo, you can't kill the exhibit. And they're not inmates, they're exhibits because they're animals. We treat them like animals, a human animal. If we give the individual who might kill something more serious to think about than a deferred sentence, will perhaps he think a little bit harder, he or she, if a year of torture in front of him? You know, is there a possibility that that would factor in that maybe he thinks, I don't want to be tortured for a year, maybe I won't kill? If we look at the character of a sociopath, it's within their character that they supposedly cannot be changed. They cannot be educated. You can't alter their feelings. You can't create a conscience. And I think by right. you're saying, by having, by having this torture and having this kind of thing in front of the person, that this might stop them from doing what they were doing. But I don't believe that is true. I don't think we can stop torture with torture. Perhaps that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're probably right. And again, that's why I don't argue for it or against it, but I, I will let the reader decide for their, themselves. I will, what I will do, though, I will put a book, and hopefully I did with you, as you did with me, with the oath. The oath has stayed with me since I read it. I want Criminal Zoo to stay with you the story, you put the book away. When you read those last two words, the end, and you put the book away, Yeah. you can put the book away, but the story, I want the story to stay with you for a long time. I want to infect you. Every time you see a story on the news, every time you read a headline of a heinous crime, I want you to ask yourself, would I put that individual in criminal zoo? I want, I, I want to give the reader something to really think about, something to ponder. Not trying to change any mind, well, I, but just an outside-the-box way to think. Well, and, and I think it is an outside-the-box way to think, and it does make me think, and I, and I believe you're correct. And I think your book, your book is different. We haven't seen books like that. And I think for many people, they should pick it up, read it, and understand what you're saying now. I think this would be very good for people. You know, like you say, to think outside the box, to have a different approach to things. Whether you're right or wrong, it's hard to say. But uh, it'll create a lot of talk. Well, thank you. So, what's That's kind of what I'm looking to do. Let's, let's get people talking. Well, first of all, I'm very excited to read about the Jewish Brigade. I'm excited to read your next book. I am working on a book now that I can't, I'm not really supposed to say one way or another if it's tied in with Criminal Zoo, but I do have a, a novel that I'm finishing up as we speak that uh, it may or may not have ties to Criminal Zoo. I could tell you, but then I'd have to put you in the zoo. So I don't want to do that. But yes, I have a book that we'll be, Criminal Zoo comes out. We're going to do a book signing. 
this Friday. We're doing a book signing at this house of books here in Billings, Montana. And then Criminal Zoo itself is released November 15th. And I would like to take a moment to say thank you to Pat Walsh of Defenestration Press and to Tyson Cornell and his staff, Andrew and Julia and Haley at Rare Bird Books. I've had an absolutely wonderful time working with Defenestration Press and working with Rare Bird Books. And I'm very blessed. I'll bet you've had similar experiences. These people, the teams that have been put behind my book, probably yours as well, incredible people, and I'm very thankful for all of them. I agree with you, and I, and I agree with the kind of work that they have done for our books. It's, and uh, and I, my book comes out sometime about that same time, for the Christmas season and should be available uh, at most uh, most uh, bookstores uh, and hopefully people will pick it up and read it because I think it's it, it the kind of reviews I've gotten will make me I, I, I I'm I'm proud of it um, but Rare Bird and you should be. Walsh and all those have been have been wonderful to us we had a great time getting together in New Orleans. Uh, we did. Seeing everybody, seeing everybody. And I'm sure we'll do that again next year at BoucherCon or BoucherCon to uh, another books, another uh, book meetings, uh, conferences. Uh, look forward to seeing you again, Sean. And, and uh, thank you, everybody, at uh, Rare Books. And we appreciate the opportunity to get together and have this conversation. Thank you. Goodbye. I agree. Pleasure talking to you. Bye.